0: Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Fourth down, that ends it, and it's fitting. T.J. Watt has just slammed the door shut on the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens trailing 14-10. First down, Jackson, ball is out. Sitting there, scooped up by the Steelers. T.J. Watt. Highsmith knocks it free. Feel the pressure, step up. Highsmith right there with a play. There was room to climb the pocket. Lamar Jackson didn't. Highsmith pops it free. Shotgun, Jackson, up high. Intercepted. Picked off by Joey Porter Jr. The rookie comes away with it. If you want to give away three game balls from Sunday's game against the Baltimore Ravens, those would probably be the three guys to get it. Maybe George Pickens as well. But it was another defensive effort that truly won the game for the Pittsburgh Steelers. If you look at the score and you see 17-10, to 10, you say, oh, okay, so the Steelers finally maybe got a little bit of offense going against Baltimore. You know, 17 points still isn't a lot, but, you know, two touchdowns and a Field goal. How about a touchdown with a failed two-point conversion, six, a safety for eight, and then just a bunch of field goals. It worked out. It was fine. I'm Austin Vexel with you, Fan Only Morning Show. The Pittsburgh Steelers are in first place, entering the bye. It's a glorious thing, but it's been ugly. This year, but hey, a win is a win, and that's a good thing. Joey Porter Jr. finally got time. He got to experience the limelight. He got to shine in the face of the Steelers-Ravens rivalry. A time where his dad thrived on the outside for the Steelers. Made huge splash plays. Well, after Gunnar Olszewski fumbled, and why Gunnar was in the game, Calvin Austin got hurt... So Gunner had to go back in there, even though what was the whole purpose of Desmond King? Returning kicks, returning punts, but you put Gunner back there. So Gunner fumbles. Ravens ball right around the five. And Lamar Jackson, instead of just running it, decides to throw an interception and decides to throw it towards the end zone. Towards Odell Beckham. Intercepted by Joey Porter Jr. He basically ran the route. Boxed out Beckham. Made a play on the ball. He was fantastic. He's graded out as the best corner out of anybody for the Steelers. As the primary target this year in 63 snaps overall for Porter, he's been targeted eight times. He's forced two incompletions, an interception, and a 27 passer rating. He's been great. If there's anything that you'd like to point to for the Steelers, of course, it's the defensive side of the ball. How far can this defense carry the offense? And the offense, again, has showed things, but it's just not being able to sustain drives. Jalen Warren, I thought, had a great drive. It ended up setting up just a field goal. But, man, he was fantastic in the fourth quarter, running over people. A little dump-off route, third down and six, that Warren caught that stands out to me. That led up just a play later, two plays later, to the hurdle Warren had. To again be able to pick up a first down. Three plays in a row. Three first downs for Jalen Warren. And Najee Harris did some things. There wasn't that many rushing lanes for him. But he was solid. And how about Alex Highsmith, TJ Watt? Watt again. Went off. What do you expect? Just showing the pure dominance that he has on the outside. And this is the way that the Steelers are just built to win games. Maybe Matt Canada was right. I mean, everybody... Kind of thinks that Matt Canada is right. He shouldn't have said it, but yeah, this team is built pretty much just to win games, based off of the defense shelling out as much as possible, and the offense not necessarily being carried. But as long as they are not playing from behind, then they can they can win. They're not built to come from behind. But the Steelers did, in fact, come back from behind. Maybe because Baltimore handed the Steelers the game. Look, the Steelers had to jump out and take it. I get that. And that's what the Steelers did. I mean, they, they could have just been gone in the midst of the wind and not done anything. But Kenny Pickett, Did he make a check at the line? Did he audible at the line? He definitely did something, whether it was changing protection. He saw something on that George Pickens touchdown play. I don't think you can deny that, dispute it. Why Matt Canada wasn't celebrating? See, a lot of people like to say, oh, don't look into it. You shouldn't be celebrating or anything. It's just human nature. When you fail over and over and over again, and you know that this play puts you in the lead, And ultimately could be the deciding factor in the game. It should be almost automatic. Especially like it was for everybody else up there in the coaching booth. To at least crack a smile. To at least show a little bit of emotion. You're the play caller. You run the offense. You should show a little bit of joy for your offense. Being able to finally... Finally, put the nail in somebody else's coffin. Mac Canada didn't show that. Some people like to say, oh, he was already looking ahead to the two-point play. I don't believe that. He didn't initially, he didn't just already go look down at the play sheet and start saying something. Now, was it because it wasn't Matt Canada's play? It's been disputed in the locker room. It's also been... By what some players have said. Sounds like maybe it was something that Kenny Pickett did. You know, I've said previously, I'm like 65% off the Kenny Pickett train right now. One game is not going to put me back on. I feel better, though, about how Kenny has progressed. I mean, think about it. Kenny's got a lot on his plate with Matt Canada... And all the scrutiny surrounding him. He has a first-round pick at left tackle who made his first career start. Outside of that, Dan Moore got hurt and has been pretty inefficient. Chug has been very inefficient at at right tackle. Your left guard in Isaac Sayamalo, man, he hasn't been great. He hasn't been everything that you paid him to be at left guard. He's starting to pave the way and figure it out. But Mason Cole has been pushed back into Pickett and not look great this year at center. James Daniels has missed the last two games for nasty Nate Herbig. Deontay Johnson, your $18 million man, has been out since the start of the year. Your first round running back hasn't performed the way that he wants to perform. Anybody wants him to perform and isn't hitting the holes as well as, you know, Najee really expects that he should her that he did year one. plus just everything surrounding this offense. Your tight end is out. Pat Fryermuth has been a weapon for Pickett in the past, especially last year. Pickett relied on Pat Fryermuth a decent amount of the time. But George Pickens has been one of the saving graces for this offense. Five catches, 107 yards, a touchdown, five first downs. Pickett had a 135 rating when targeting Pickens in single coverage against the Ravens. It was that good. Now, T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith. There's not much more that you could necessarily ask of those guys to do, right? Highsmith, again, strip sack, force fumble, Watt picks it up, ends the game. They're the best edge-rushing duo in the league. I mean, I don't know how much of a question that truly can be. T.J. Watt has 58 sacks in 48 career games at Acrisure Stadium slash Hinesfield. He's collected at least half a sack in 33 of the last 38 home games. No player has registered more sacks over the first 48 career home games in NFL history. He, TJ Watt, TJ Watt, by the end of his career, will be either the best or the second best Steelers defensive player of all time. We usually run it at 9.50, 9.48, but yeah, that's right. I said it, and I know I'm young. What do I know? What am I talking about? There are players like Troy Polamalu, Joe Green, Jack Lambert, Rod Woodson. There are so many guys that you could throw up there, but the stats don't lie. The eye test doesn't lie. The impact does not lie. The only thing that would... I think really make that secure in people's minds is if T.J. Watt is able to win a championship. He's on his way. He, he has the... He has, he's tied for the overall NFL lead in single season sacks with Michael Strahan, 24 and a half. He did it in practically 15 games. This isn't like the 17th game did anything to help him. Now, it might this year. I would not be one bit surprised if T.J. Watt breaks the... Single season sack record this year, I picked him to break the. I picked him to had the most sacks out of anybody this year, in the entire National Football League. Because he's just the type of guy that you want to bet on. I mean, why wouldn't you? Overall sack leaders, T.J. Watt is eight. Khalil Mack, the next closest, tied with Josh Allen and Danielle Hunter as well as Trey Hendrickson with six. Khalil Mack had that all in one game. T.J. Watt is eight. It's impressive. It really is. He already has the Steelers franchise leading sacks. He hasn't turned 30 yet. There's a true argument really to be made that TJ Watt can be right up there along with Joe Green, Troy, Jack Lambert. If I had to put three guys who are probably the best defenders in Steelers history, it's Joe Green number one. Jack Lambert, probably number two, and Troy three. TJ's already been a three-time All-Pro, Pro Bowl five times, and I know we discredit the Pro Bowl, but it is a real thing. He's 28. His birthday is tomorrow, so happy early birthday, TJ. He was named the Defensive Player of the Year in 2021 by so many different outlets, AP, the Football Writers Association. In his career... 25 forced fumbles, including 8 in 2019. Eight forced fumbles in 2019. 2021, he led the league in sacks. He led everybody in sacks. He led the league in sacks two years in a row. 15 and then 22 and a half. How about he had 21 tackles for loss in 21? We know about last year with the injury, but 85 and a half sacks, and he's only 28. That's through seven years, and basically it's six years. Because he played 10 games last year, but he was limited. He's played five this year. So basically, it's been six years. Pretty impressive stuff. The Wake Up Show is presented by 84 Lumber. Put your positive attitude to work at 84 Lumber. Apply at 84Lumber.com. A couple of other things that I wanted to point out about the Steelers. Look, it wasn't pretty, but they're 2-0 against the division. They beat Cleveland at home. They beat Baltimore at home. Yeah, it'll be a different story when they go on the road, potentially. Still got to face Cincinnati. And it's not great in terms of point differential. Out of all dif- out of all division leaders in the NFL, point differential. The 49ers lead, plus 99. Yeah, they're really good. The Chiefs are plus 48. The Dolphins are plus 46. That helps because they scored 70 on Denver. The Lions, yeah, they're first place in the NFC North. They're plus 41. Philadelphia is at plus 37. The Bucks in the NFC South are plus 16. Jacksonville plus 3. The Steelers are at, uh, yeah, negative 31. Part of that is getting blown out by Houston, which is just ugh, a disaster, and getting blown out by San Francisco. That's really it. So, it doesn't help, but this offense is starting to get there. It was ugly. But the Steelers really needed it, and that's what Kenny Pickett had to say to CBS after the game. Well, Kenny, that was a wild game. I'm guessing your heart's racing a little bit. Simply put, how did you guys win this game? I think a complete, you know, team effort, special teams, defense, offensively putting a drive together at the end to win, to, you know, to win the game. And then our defense sealed it, and T.J. Watt being T.J. Watt, you know, the best player in the world, in my opinion, goes and does what he does. I think it's a full team effort. Um, ugly win, but, you know, really glad we got it. We needed it. Let's go back to the Pickens touchdown that was the winner in a lot of ways. What'd you see on the play? Yeah, they were going zero. They heated up um, the Colts a bunch. I don't think they handled it as well, so I want to make sure we handled it. They gave it to us once earlier, and I got hit on it. Um, so in clutch moments like this, felt like they were gonna, you know, come back to it. Got it adjusted. George won on his route, and it was a big play for us. You described it as ugly, but what's it say about the resiliency of your group? You got a fight. Got a fight, man. It's the NFL. Every week's gonna be like this. It's tough. Um, you know, we're a work in progress. We're continuing to work, but you know, unbelievably proud of every guy in that locker room, man. We we uh, we work for this one, and we got it. And especially just because. Candy Pickett has done a good job, especially in the Steelers' wins, of taking care of the ball. I mean, think about the Ravens. Rashad Bateman early in the game, dropped a touchdown pass. Kick a field goal. Nelson Aguilar had the ball go right through his hands. Just dropped what would have been a touchdown. Larry Obanjovi forced a fumble. Lamar Jackson, to seal the game, was stripped by Alex Highsmith. And how about how Alex Highsmith? He generated a career high 11 pressure, tied for the most in a game by a player this season, according to Nest Stats. The strip sack in the fourth quarter increased the Steelers' win probability from 75% to 99%. Dub. Well, what else did the Ravens do? Well, after Gunner fumbled, could have sealed out the game with a touchdown. Lamar throws a pick in the end zone to Joey Porter Jr. On fourth down and two. The Ravens went for it instead of kicking a field goal at the end of the first half. That came back to bite them. The Ravens just flat out did not capitalize. It could have been a 28-10 game, as Malsey pointed out. Chris Muller during right after the game. And I mean, it's true that if the Steelers got to win, they got to win ugly. I mean, it's not pretty how this offense performs. But a win is a win, and you're right back to the drawing board. And the schedule kind of allows the Steelers to be able to do that. But if the Steelers can go out there and take care of business against the division, there's no saying what they could do. Not saying they're going to go out to Kansas City and upset the Chiefs with an offense this putrid, but weirder things have happened with how the defense is carrying the team. But it could just lead to another 9-8 and year and back to the drawing board again. Well, the Penguin season starts up tonight at PPG Paints Arena against the Chicago Blackhawks. I'll tell you three things that I'm most looking forward to. Coming up next is the Fan Early Morning Show. Uh, it's time for Hockey Talk on a Tuesday morning. Penguin season begins tonight at PPG Paints Arena. The Chicago Blackhawks are in town. I am very excited to see Connor Bedard tonight. First overall pick... So much hype, speculation, how good is this guy going to be? Did you see the video that where Marc-Andre Fleury in the preseason on a breakaway? I think it was a shootout. Uh, kind of poke-checked at him. Kind of knocked him off his feet a little bit and gave him a little tap. Welcome to the league, rookie. He's a talent, man. Him going up against Crosby tonight is going to be cool. Am I, I guarantee you on the broadcast somebody's going to say, Oh, it's the changing of the guard like they've said for the past how many years with McDavid as McDavid continuously cannot make his way same thing with Austin Matthews through the playoffs into the Stanley Cup final maybe that's just a Toronto thing maybe that's just an Edmonton stalls out in the in the conference final I don't know but three takeaways that I want to have that I have for the Penguins coming into today or three things that I'm looking out for really Number one, how will the Penguins deploy the power play? What are what are the Penguins going to do with all this talent? What is going to be the main thing that this team tries to do with, you know, of course, Sidney Crosby's going to be on it. Okay, boom, mark it down. Gino will be on the power play. And then you gotta put what, Eric Carlson on the power play? You're talking about definitely Crosby, definitely Malkin. Maybe Letang. Gensel. As well as Eric Carlson. Carlson's gonna be on it. So book it with Crosby, Malkin. Carlson. Jake Gensel practiced this week. He's a game time decision tonight. We'll see if he plays. Be pretty nice if he does, just to be able to get the season going. And then Brian Rust, Ricard Raquel. There we go. Some NHL on TNT music. All right. Now I can get into a good rhythm and a good flow. All right. Penguins power play. It's got to be those guys, right? And then you could always drop somebody else under the second line. Will Chris Tang be on the number one power play for the Penguins? For the first time in a while, I'm really questioning it. Or will it be in favor of somebody else? It. Jake Gensel was providing the net front presence for the number one power play during a five-on-three drill. You would think that the Penguins are going to have him in the lineup sooner rather than later. And the Penguins overall, their lineup, and who made the team, it makes sense. One thing that did not make sense from last year, and that was kind of surprising. Number two, how healthy can this team stay? Sidney Crosby, 82 games last year. Evgeny Malkin, 82 games last year. Ricard Raquel, 82 games last year. Brian Rust, 81 games. Pio Joseph played 75. Jason Zucker played 78. Jake Gensel played 78. Crystal Tang, 64. And how about Eric Carlson? Welcome to the Penguins, Eric Carlson. He played all 82 games last year. All 82. Previously, though. For the Sharks in his entire tenure dating back from 2018-19 to two years ago the 2021-22 season Eric Carlson 53 games 56 52 50. He had not played more than 56 games in a season other than last year with the Sharks when he played every single one and he was productive 25 goals 76 points 76 assists rather 76 assists For a defenseman, 101 total points. It was the coming out party. The breakout for his Sharks career. I mean, we all know how good Eric Carlson is. But he put up 100 points. It was the most that he's ever put up in his career 76 assists. And yeah, that's why the Penguins were so adamant about going out there and getting him. He's a weapon. He's somebody else that the Penguins can deploy. Every game that you know, yeah, he's going to take risks. But they're risks that have huge rewards. The Penguins forwards. Drew O'Connor, Brian Rust, Riley Smith, Lars Eller, Jansen Harkins, Noel Achari, Jake Gensel, Ricard Raquel, Evgeny Malkin, Jeff Carter, Matt Nieto, Sidney Crosby. At defense... Ryan Shea, Chad Ruedel, John Ludvig, Ryan Graves. Huge, huge free agency pickup. Marcus Pedersen is back. Eric Carlson, Crystal Tang and P.O. Joseph with Tristan Jari as the main goaltender. Number three, Tristan Jari. Will he live up to the contract? I was kind of staunch on not giving Tristan Jari... The money that he that he got, especially, I get very concerned with Tristan Jari. I worry about his productivity. How is he able to perform on a game-to-game basis? He, I understand. Yeah, he's made the All-Star team a couple of different times. He's a good player. He's 28 years old. He's still a young, he's still a young goalie. He doesn't do it for me when it comes playoff time. And yeah, the Penguins did not make the playoffs last year. And that's partly how, look, all those guys, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin played every game. Ryan Russ, all but one game. Jake Gensel, most of the year. And they didn't make the playoffs? I mean, really? I don't have too much confidence in this Penguins team this year. I think they should make the playoffs. I think they will make the playoffs. But I don't think they're going to win the Metro Maybe they'll sneak in as a wild card team. They probably will. I mean, they're probably going to make it. Tristan Jari last year was 24 for 13. 24, 13, and 7. A 290 goals against. A 909 save percentage, which was tied for 17th in the NHL. The goals a game average at 2.9 was 23rd. He had two shutouts on the year. That was tied for 17th. It doesn't exactly, and he played 47 games. It doesn't exactly inspire confidence in me. The way that Tristan Jari plays in big situations. And I get it. He hasn't necessarily been helped by sometimes the defense in front of him and bad plays that are made by whether it's Crystal Tang being too aggressive on the puck or whatever it might be. But, man, Tristan Jari, he's got to prove it. It's time. I mean, you give him a five-year deal, ton of money. A lot of people are wondering who's going to be the next goalie of the Penguins and put it as like a 50-50 chance that Jari was going to be back. I mean, you remember. I didn't want him back. A lot of people here did not want him back. It's time to prove, Tristan Jari, you're worthy of being back and being the number one goaltender at the price that you are being paid. Penguins, Blackhawks, 8 o'clock, prime time, PPG Paints Arena. It is Sidney Crosby against Connor Bedard. The Blackhawks, a team that practically ended the Penguins' season a year ago. We'll see how it shapes out. And there's something interesting that I saw in high school sports that I want to bring up for the final minute of the show. Could there be the possibility that in the PIAA, a team, based on its overall win-loss record and how the program kind of continues to falter, could potentially be a good thing for them to bounce back. We'll talk about it coming up next. It's the Fan Early Morning Show. I'm Austin Bechtel with you. Sports Radio, 93.7 The Fan. Final minute here on the Fan Early Morning Show. So something that Mike White of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette floated out there that I thought was fascinating. The headline. Dropping a class, Butler presents PIAA with idea where struggling teams can move down in classification. He said it might sound like a strange idea, but Butler has asked the PIAA to consider, to consider it for the future. And the PIAA is willing to at least discuss the concept. Last Monday, Butler made a presentation to the PIAA Strategic Planning Committee that Butler calls relegation. It sounds like something like what is done in Europe in terms of overseas with soccer where a team could ask the PIAA to move down a classification for a lack of competitiveness over some yet-to-be-determined number of years, and the idea would pertain to more sports than just football. Huh. Overall, thinking about it, your first reaction might be, oh, just be better. Be a better team. Be a better program. Man, sometimes there are programs that stumble and fall, and they just cannot pick themselves back up. And they are down for a long, long time. For some bigger schools that just do not have... They might have the enrollment, but they might not have like the buy-in or the athletes. Or just whatever the situation is, it isn't working for them. It's hard to just slip it on a dime. I'm in favor of this. I'm not saying that a team has to move down for a huge amount of time. But, hey, Butler... It not independent in football. They've been independent or they played in District 10. They're planning to come back to the Whitfield next year, but for football, they've been in the Whitfield for everything else. But, man, I like this idea. It gives teams a chance to compete that typically do not. What do you think of this idea? I'm going to tweet this out. At Austin R. Bechtold. I want to know what you think about this because... I'm heavily involved in Olympia sports, high school football, high school basketball, high school volleyball. I like the idea. What say you. Pre-show's next here on The Fan. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive.